Hi, I'm Beth Curran and you're listening to another episode of Stardust MQ. My guest today is Dr. Tayaba Zafar. Tayaba is an astrophysicist with Macquarie University who works on looking at interstellar dust and understanding the building blocks of our universe. She was also the recipient of the Young Tall Poppy Award for 2020. In this episode, we chat about her research, the Tall Poppy Award and how it has opened doors for her to bring science to the budding scientists of our country. Okay, welcome to our episode of Stardust and Kiyotayaba. It's so good to have you. Um, I wondered if you could first start by telling us just how you got into astronomy. So uh, I am, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be part of the MQ Stardust podcast. Uh, I got into astronomy. That's a, a very different story for a person uh, who is coming from Pakistan. So I'm originally from Pakistan. Uh, where I have done my master's. Uh, of course, I like those vast heavens and I've been to the countryside and re- I really like that, but I have no clue how to get into that because astronomy wasn't a subject being taught over there. So I take turns and then finally landed into astronomy. So the, my way was that all, all through my childhood, I like physics and mathematics and that, that those were very interesting subjects always for me. And I kept those until my master's where I've done my master's in physics. And then I got to a point where I started reading. Uh, to mention, I actually started first reading Stephen Hawking's book, uh, A Brief History of Time. So already my, uh, my majors for my master's were in particle physics and that get me into dark matter and all these stuff of things. But then I started reading more that, okay, if it is dark matter, then how it is in the universe and how we can track it down. And this took me to the journey of stars and galaxies and how their formation works and all these sorts of things. And after a brief history of time, I read the uh, universe book by Williams, uh, Kaufman and others. So I was keep reading at that time and I started applying for PhD position. So I was uh, fortunate enough that I uh, got a written test and interview selection uh, at the University of Copenhagen Niels Bohr Institute. Uh, where I went in and uh, after the written test, I was surprised that only by reading through the material online uh, or or through the books, I got selected and uh, I got the PhD position and then rest is the history that I got into astronomy. Yeah, wonderful. So you kind of started in physics and then made your way across um, through your PhD. That's great. Um, So your research is with interstellar dust. So when most people think of space, they don't think of dust. (laughs) Can you kind of tell us what dust is in a space context? Dust is uh, not actually the same, but more uh, in the universe uh, uh, context. So dust is everything uh, which is not in universe gas and or or metals. So everything, if you uh, get to form compounds or complex uh, um, condensed material, then it's called dust in the universe. So we are also coming from stardust because we are making some complex compounds uh, made of some complex compounds. Same goes for the planets and everything. So dust in the universe context is very important that it is actually 1% of the material in the interstellar space that is uh, called uh, dust or dust particle. And that regulates the formation of everything, stars, galaxies, planets, and all structures we see. So it is very important as it affects also all the astronomical observation, which we make as dust has the property of obscuring or uh, scattering light. Uh, So dust 
uh, if we, for example, looking through a planet and as you know of asteroids or meteorites uh, moving around, if we happen to see through them, of course, we will be missing that planet. So that's how it's work. And even going further beyond, if there is any dust or these complex compounds sitting around, they will be uh, making the light absorbed and we can't see things in the background. So dust, as uh, we say, uh, as we speak, uh, is actually uh, coming from the stars which are making them in their own stellar cores as stars have, of course, their own lifetime and they build different and different metals into their uh, cores. And then at the same time, they are throwing some of this out into the, uh, into the interstellar medium. And this, uh, when it goes into the interstellar med uh, medium, it gets this chance to go further away from the star, away from its light into the cool places and star building compounds. And these compounds at the end are uh, obscuring the light of the same star or anything we are looking through. So that's, uh, that is very important to understand, not only to see objects behind the dust, but how it is affecting and how it is created in the universe. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like the dust is produced by stars and then it goes on to kind of leave its its home star and um, go and form other objects. So it's kind of involved in both ends of the process. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what is the research that you do around dust? So we already know quite a lot about dust in our own galaxy because uh, here we have the privilege that we can see each individual star and we know how the spectral shape of that star should look like if there is no dust. And that's make it easy to compare. For example, we can compare star of one same type with the, uh, with the star coming off the same spectral type, but of course, obscured by dust. And then we can see there that how much is the difference which is caused by the dust. And it makes uh, things more easy to compare and understand. And then as we can see things so closely that it is easier for us to understand dust within our own galaxy, how it is created, what are the uh, elements which are it, it, it is made up of, uh, what's this uh, properties, sizes or composition. We know all of this in very much detail. Uh, of course, still there is still room, more room for uh, understand or uh, study there. But as we go further out into the universe, as um, in our own galaxy or in our own solar system, we can capture the interplanetary uh, dust particles uh, or even the meteorites and we can understand how they are created and what's their core. But as we go outside in the interstellar medium or away from our ga own galaxy, we can't uh, capture those interstellar medium grains. And then it makes more harder and harder to understand. What we do in our own uh, in our studies is, as we know more about the dust in our own galaxy, we always take it as a reference and go out and compare that. Okay, everything might be looking the same, so let's take our galaxy as a reference and believe that dust will be similar always outside our own galaxy. Uh, but I came up with the idea, uh, idea that oh, if we want to study extragalactic dust, which is outside our own galaxy, why we always keep our galaxy as a reference. It might be a starting point, but let's see how much it deviates. And that's what I always uh, fascinated about that seeing how much is the uh, difference between our dust in our own galaxy and outside um, are these same compounds or same uh, elements causing it. Uh, what the origin could be, is it coming from the same type of stars or it is coming from a different one? So all these sorts of 
puzzles which I'm looking around and see that how much uh, we are uh, we have different dust in the extragalactic universe compared to our own galaxy. Yeah, okay. So you're kind of looking at the dust and how it might vary from the dust that we see locally. Um, yeah. How do you do that? What kind of observations do you take? Or um, yeah, how do you figure that stuff out? So what dust does is that if there is dust between us or any galaxy or any star, it doesn't affect the whole electromagnetic spectrum. It actually affects only a part of the electromagnetic spectrum and that is ultraviolet and optical light. And this is the light coming from stars or galaxies mostly. So what dust if, uh, does is that it absorbs that part of the spectrum at some extent. So uh, for these kind of uh, observations, which fall for high redshift galaxies in their rest frame, ultraviolet or optical, I uh, go and get those optical or ultraviolet rest frame observations, which means of course, if they are redshifted, so they will be falling either in optical or infrared spectrum. So I grab those. Mostly what I do is I go for spectroscopic observations. So one way is that you just get photometric observation, which are of course in broad filters, around 500 to 1000 angstrom, that is quite a broad length. And there in, uh, if you just go with photometric observation, you might miss some information. So I go I always go with spectroscopy as you have more detailed information and you can see any individual features which are coming from the dust because of the uh, wavelength coverage you have and the spectrum you have giving you more detailed uh, either per angstrom or even sub angstrom information. So I go ahead with those and I use mostly uh, longer wavelength coverages as much as possible from the rest frame ultraviolet to the uh, infrared or optical as long as I can go depending on the instrument we use. And my way is actually to fit those and then see as for the extra galactic, we don't have a comparison of uh, in our as in our galaxy of the same stars, but we more need to model the individual uh, spectrum of a galaxy. So we uh, model the spectrum of a galaxy using those rest frame uh, ult uh, ultraviolet to in optical or infrared observations. I even use X-ray. For example, I use uh, uh, used to study gamma ray bursts, which are uh, very energetic uh, objects uh, on the sky, which uh, which are stars exploding at the end of their lifetimes and producing a very bright spectrum all the way from X-ray to the ultraviolet. Uh, as we speak for. So I, um, so actually it's all across the electromagnetic spectrum. So I gather that and then see in the optical and uh, ultraviolet regime where the dust is actually making more of uh, its effect, what I am seeing. And this is the method which I use and try to study if there is any difference and then compare with the local group that am I seeing something different or is it something new? So my goal is always to go for the intrinsic extinction curve rather than any uh, canonical uh, comparison with the local group. Yeah, amazing. So is there any kind of, um, in your research that you've done so far, are there any things that you found out that you are particularly excited about or that you found particularly interesting? So something which I'm recently working on, uh, that, that is quite exciting uh, as, I, uh, as I find from the recent data. So as I haven't speak so far that how these dust molecules look like, as I, uh, I said, these are complex compounds. 
but these complex compounds in our galaxy are mostly made of, of carbon or small silicate. So carbon mostly in crystalline form, for example, in form of graphite or diamond, or it could be in, uh, in the form of hydrocarbons. And then silicates of any time combining with any material, it could be simple silica like silicate oxide, or it could be complex with uh, aluminum or magnesium. So any com complex compound which silicates can made up of, we see them in our own local group and we find the more the dominance of the carbon-like compounds, uh, either in crystalline or hydrocarbons. As I go further out into the extra galactic universe, I, I find that actually there is some deviation. We get to see more and more silicate dominance and that is expected. Of course, in our own galaxy, things we are seeing clearly, but as we go further out, we might be missing out those carbons and we see them rare. That is already known. Uh, but I started looking in more into detail that not looking the whole uh, ex uh, dust light loss or uh, what we call it extinction curve, which we use as a tool that how light is varying across the whole wavelength electromagnetic uh, spectrum regime. Uh, let's see what how it is uh, compared to the elements which can form that dust. So I'm finding more silicates or iron, for example, being uh, responsible for bringing that type of dust in the extra galactic universe as compared to the uh, local uh, uh, universe or our own galaxy where more and more carbon dominance. And I am quite excited about uh, modeling it these days that can we actually, uh, not only from the observation, can we model it that what kind of these compounds could see like, as I say silicates, but of course we don't know which type of silicates, there could be many in different forms, in different sizes. So I'm trying to see that which kind type of silicates and what could be their sizes, because from the data, we can't see that how big the sizes could be. But once we have the entire wavelength range structure of the light loss, we can go back and interpret then how big the of the sizes of these dust particles could be, which are uh, bringing those type of light loss curves or extinction curve, what we call. Yeah, so kind of figuring out what the stuff in the universe is and what type of elements and like what kind of compounds it is. Yes, and it is very important. As I said, that dust uh, is coming from the stars and then being produced in the cool environments, then it is very important at the same time, because if we don't have dust, we can't create anything in the universe. Why I'm saying so, as you know, the universe is a very, I would say a hotter place because all time stars are shining and starlight can crack anything uh, when it shines through. So if it is just gas sitting around uh, and it is in filaments, uh, then you will never get a chance to combine this and make a big uh, cloud, which can then could be a, let's say, protoplanet or for example, a protostar. What you initially need is these cool uh, dust particles, which as I said, they have graphite and, uh, or could be carbon compounds or silicate, but they have also an ice core around it. It could be simple frozen ice, which you see, it could be carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, ammonia or whatever like frozen kind of core uh, uh, mental around these uh, cores of um, uh, carbon, uh, carbonaceous material or silicate material or dust grains. So this core thing actually is uh, serve as a catalyst in the universe to attract more molecules and gas around it. So if we have dust, we can build those molecular uh, clouds, nurseries at the end, which can then be 
either a protoplanet or protostar. So if we don't have this, we can't build these compounds and no protostars or planets and hence at the end, stars or planets which we see. So we need that beginning, a very cool dust particles sitting around, which can give uh, uh, serve as a catalyst and build up more bigger clouds in the universe and then formation of anything we see in the universe. So dust is very important. Mm. So you're kind of looking at the very smallest building blocks of everything we see in the universe. You said it very right. Yes, these are building blocks of everything and we need them to create anything in the universe. Yeah, amazing. That sounds super interesting. Um, I did also want to ask you about, you recently were the recipient of the Young Tall Poppy Award. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is and what, what that's led to for you? So uh, I got the last year, 2020, Young Tall Poppy Award. And that, that is given to the, uh, to the recipients who are working actively uh, for science and communication. And they are also excelling in their own science at the same time. So I applied for that and I was, very, uh, I was already going through schools either through Macquarie or by my own self where schools were contacting me. So I was giving lectures to the, uh, to the high school, uh, at the high school level at various places throughout the Sydney and sometime even online. Uh, and when the time came for Tall Poppy, I thought that I should apply for that as I am already engaging with the community, either through writing online articles or visiting the school. So I applied for that and seeing my science record and also my communication, I, I was selected for that. And that also not only bring in the award itself, but it brings in a more job for you. So after that Tall Poppy, of course, I'm engaged with more science commun uh, communication through them. But now I am also the STEM professional in school uh, for this year, which is also more exciting work as I was doing just work here and there for the schools, but now this is through a proper channel. So I find that Tall Poppy was uh, good, not only to uh, enforce my engagement with the community, but also be more efficient and spreading my science, which was of course sitting with me before or through some uh, with some professionals, but actually it is going to the school level where our all the young brains are coming. It's important to let them know that what we are doing and how exciting it is and why you should be coming to astronomy. So I find that Tall Poppy to be very uh, helpful for making my engagement working more effective into the community. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you obviously really enjoy speaking in schools and that kind of thing. What have you, has anything like surprised you that any students have asked you or um, yeah, what are some of your favorite experiences from doing that? What I find mostly in the schools, of course, there are uh, in, in the school, uh, you see that everyone is at different level. Some might have in, interest in astronomy and some might have not. I find so far that I've got four school students working and uh, visiting our labs. So that was very interesting for me as of course I give my science talks and I tell them at the end that, oh, we are also building instruments. So it's not only that we are using uh, our science as a tool, but we build these instruments and see that how we can observe this sky. Um, and I find that students were very um, thrilled by that, that, oh, well, okay. It's not just doing simple research, but actually there is more kind of in engineering aspect of it. And I, I, I really like that, that student thing beyond 
beyond, of course, their level, I'm talking about high school students, who, who, those who have very little or no experience of engineering, but they are like, oh, we want to see things in action and how they are. And that, and that was very, uh, I find it very, uh, very exciting that they are thrilled that what, how things are happening and how we can use it, um, like compared to our own uh, normal life, how we can see that things are working. I see very few immature high school students, of course, uh, which, um, which explains by the fact that it's, it's so little astronomy being told in the school. So I think more astronomy into the school will uh, help them know more. But when they see, oh, there is some engagement with science and engineering, they get pretty excited. So uh, I think we need to bring it to that level that they can make connection with different interdisciplinary uh, fields. And then they think that as, oh, astronomy is just not only research or seeing vast heavens, but it is, it is very uh, interdisciplinary field where you see engagement with other fields also. Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Thanks to Oliver Doherty for editing this episode. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear, and our outro theme is from Ketsa. I'll talk to you next time.